listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. Recording, recording, recording. Three, two, one. Welcome to the third episode of the One Take Podcast. I am we joined. We we made it, guys. <laughs> we, we 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 did it. Here we are. Um, I'm joined by Dex and Jake. Uh, Jake with a new microphone setup. What's uh, what's happening with the new microphone setup? You got friends in high places, apparently. Uh, yeah, a friend hooked me up. I got myself a little articulating arm. Uh, using the same mic, uh, but kind of like in a better setup. And now I'm not at my desk. I'm I'm now at my couch, getting comfier. You look like a professional. That's all I gotta say. And uh, oh yeah, that's it's all about looks here. It's not about the sound. It's exactly. The Great radio is all about the looks. Podcasts um, <laughs> are a visual medium. Exactly. And so, uh, speaking of visual medium, we can you know Dex actually has light in his room for the first time in three episodes yeah Yeah, i can be seen on camera so when we post videos on twitter you'll be able to see my face (laughs) yeah the thing that everybody is looking forward to is is us on a grainy skype video talking about uh talking about films and such um getting a lot of complaints about it oh yeah oh no okay yeah to the to the tens of people the tens of people that maybe actually have listened so far to those people thank you very much but to the tens of people that are really complaining um if you're wondering if i sound kind of uh low t this episode it's because i fell asleep literally right before we were supposed to come on and record so yeah (laughs) um the post movie nap yeah i ate and just conked i was watching jeopardy and it was like it was just nap fuel, man. I just I passed out. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Were you doing the the best of? Yeah, the greatest on Netflix. The greatest yeah, of all yeah, time, yeah. Uh, championship, which is on Hulu actually. And I was, um, you know, it's funny to actually. I did binge for a second the the Netflix ones, which is kind of funny to watch those back to back. But the greatest of all time championships on on Hulu, they don't miss, like very rarely. And I'm not a big Jeopardy or, um, you know, Wheel of Fortune or anything. I don't know about y'all, but I, I just, it's so, it, it was so fascinating to actually watch uh, the best of all time challenge. I don't know if y'all actually watch any of that. No. Uh, I mean, I, I did like as a kid where I would watch, you know, game shows if I was homesick, but it was, it's never been like a huge part of my life. Yeah, that was always, like, my grandma's thing. Like, if I was at my grandma's <laughs> house, we'd watch, like, Price is Right or, you know, Wheel of Fortune or whatever. But, like, as an adult with my grandparents gone, I've never, like, sat down and been like, today's the day watching Jeopardy. Well, now I'm going to go unwrap some more of those originals and uh, <laughs> go watch some more Jeopardy once I get off of this call. Um, no, so what we have been watching, and we'll, after our jeopardy conversation we'll get into what you actually came here for the the gentleman is uh the movie we are reviewing this week starring one matthew mcconaughey um we wanted to review this film mostly because it's probably one of the best if not the best film 
out right now. Uh, I mean, not out, being released right now. I mean, because some of the Oscar films are still in theaters. They're going to re-release uh, all these back into AMC, which uh, was your, you know, Dex, that's your your bag is to go see those uh, back in theaters. But um, January release for The Gentleman. Let me read... Um, let me read the synopsis really quick. An American expat tries to sell off his highly profitable marijuana empire in London, triggering plots, schemes, bribery, and blackmail in an attempt to steal his domain out from under him, directed and written by Guy Ritchie, uh, starring Matthew McConaughey, Charlie Hunnam, Michelle Dockery, Jeremy Strong, Colin Farrell, Henry Golding, and Hugh Grant. Uh, as the main sort of players in this um, initial thoughts on what y'all thought about the gentleman uh, and we'll get into grades and whatnot at the if you just want to give your grades out maybe at the end of your synopsis on what you think about the movie as a movie as a whole and we'll get into it further um, I loved it watch it today um, so it's still real fresh on my mind. Uh, but yeah, I loved it. Um, I did the, the sadist thing right after and like I went online and read all the reviews and what people think. And this is like one of the first time where I've read reviews and people are like, it's okay. I'm like, no, it was good. It was fun. It's a good, just action film. It's one of those movies that you don't need to invest a lot. It gives you everything you need. You just need to sit down with a box of popcorn and just watch it. It's a fun ride. Yeah, man, I agree. I loved it a lot. Um, I'd call it like one of the perfect, oh, yeah, kind of movies. It's one of those movies you don't really, like, you're not going to be thinking about it every day for the next, like, few months. But in a couple of years, you'll see somebody talking about it on Twitter or you'll hear somebody bring it up and you'll be like, oh, yeah, that was really good. Um, <laughs> it's a very so good movie. Very good. Can you use, oh, yeah, in a sentence? Oh, yeah. So, like, I think a perfect example of this would be a movie like Logan Lucky. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. Logan Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people don't yeah. really think about the movie Logan Lucky every day, but somebody brings it up and you're like, oh, yeah, that was really good. <laughs> I don't know if anybody so, yeah, thinks this be the same kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely – because it's not, like – like Logan Lucky, it's not the best from this director – but it's on par with some of his some of his work, and maybe we can get into Guy Ritchie's career, interesting career, a little bit uh, later. But um, speaking of reviews, this you know, a fifty-one on Metacritic, which Metacritic is kind of tough to get high scores on. Then that's sort of par for most of Guy Ritchie films, actually. But seventy-three um, percent on Rotten Tomatoes, eighty-four percent audience score, which is actually very high. Um, for this movie and this is you know Matthew McConaughey and Guy Ritchie's highest rated movie in a long time on Rotten Tomatoes not that that matters it's all kind of in the eye of the beholder but three out of four stars on Roger uh, RogerEpert.com so audiences really seem to enjoy this film a you know 8.1 viewer score on IMDb what do y'all and that's sort of where I am too I you know I uh, what would y'all give this film I know we're kind of doing letter score which uh, I I think that this is a really good January movie. I think for January, because it, for those who don't know, January and February, and sometimes now more February, 
is where they really, um, really dump just the crap that they want to get. Like movie studios dump everything that they don't think will be good or be or just need to make some sort of profit on because it's after Oscars, uh, Oscar season. It's after Christmas where they're competing with all of these big blockbusters and so on and so forth and all the movies that are going to make money just because they're Oscar hyped. And then they'll just dump it. It seemed to me, this is what I've seen. Now there are probably better theories behind this, but they'll dump it, see if it can make any sort of cash and we'll never think about it again. So there's just usually miles of crap that you have to wade through to find a decent movie out in theaters in, in January and February. But for a January movie, this was awesome. As just a movie, I think it's it's somewhere, I put it in the B-minus range. And that may come down over time. If you want to put a letter grade on it, I'd pro- or not a letter grade, like a number grade on it, I'd probably go like 83. But um, yeah, I think, I think that's appropriate. And I think that's kind of where a lot of like non- super critical people are kind of sitting right now with it um yeah no i i totally agree um when you first told me that you're gonna you're giving it um you say b minus or b plus b minus yeah 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 uh i agree um it's not a good comparison but i would kind of place this uh just from recent memory kind of like right next to knives out where I, it's not gonna win any awards. Like I don't, I don't think anybody's gonna walk away as like this is a critical piece of movie history. But every once in a while, you need that movie that doesn't ask you to think. It doesn't ask you to do anything. Um, and I think Guy Ritchie nails that. I call him like the Michael Bay films, what you could just put on on a Sunday while like just vegging out. This is perfect for it. So it doesn't ask a lot of you and. You still enjoy it. Like, there's never any part of it where you're not just sitting there going, this is great. So, I agree with the B. But it is, like, to your point, it is, like, way smarter. It's not super smart. And I think the oh. kind of a little bit of a problem I have with it when you uh, get into it in spoilers is that it thinks it's maybe smarter than it is sometimes. But it's smarter than any Michael Bay film that's ever come out. For sure. Because I don't know if you uh, watch Six Underground, but holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> for sure so um no I'm, I'm i'm not trying to say like it's it's you know incomparable but like kind of like in that sort of same vein of if you just want to watch a good movie and you got two hours of your time to kill this is perfect mm-hmm. you could just put it on and just go and it's fine dex where are you sitting at with it um i'm a little higher on it than both of you guys um, <laughs> i think it's a it's one of those movies that like I can recommend to pretty much anybody um, just be like, go sit down in a movie theater, watch this movie and you'll come out like, you know what? That was awesome. That was a good time. Uh, And for me, that's kind of what matters with movies like this. Um, I know there's some movies where like being a good time is not the point, but for something like this, uh, I think it accomplishes pretty much everything that it wants to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you know, it's just a good ride while doing it. So I'll, Go ahead and give it like an A minus. All right, I like where I like where you're at because, like, and you're not and you're not wrong because it is, like I said, it is very entertaining. Like that, 
that is the first thing that you'll notice with this film and probably what you'll end up taking away from this film is I just had a lot of fun. Like it was, inter- you know, it was just like, man, that was fun just coming out of yeah. there because I was entertained from start until finish. And that's sometimes all you need from a movie. And it, depending on where you would fall, if you if you want to grade films, if where you would fall, where entertainment value lies to you, I think that is a good point. For me, I was just sort of, I don't know, I was more I was more cynical maybe going into it because I when I saw a, the past few trailers, I was like, I don't know where this is gonna fall for me. And plus, McConaughey has been such on a weird run and that and this isn't really his film it, it, it's a it's a, a bunch of supporting characters films but oh, um yeah. yeah he'd been on such a weird run guy Ritchie has sort of been on a weird run as well um i think aladdin got a bad rap but uh you know like king arthur was apparently terrible and so on and so forth another charlie hunnam joint but um yeah that's sort of where i fall with this what do y'all think um was the some of the highlights without getting into spoilers some of the highlights uh for you of this if yeah for you for you uh yes all right philip Phillip. Uh, yeah yeah <laughs> um God, it's hard to like pinpoint an exact like do you want like just kind of a high point scene or just like um, in, just, just general yeah no a couple of the things that you sort of um like, what do you like about... Well, let's start there, then. Like, what did you like about the cast? Because I talked about Charlie Hunnam and, and Matthew McConaughey. What did you like about the cast? Who did you like out of the cast? Because I already put that on Twitter, and I can go back over that. What did y'all think about that? Um, I, I will say, yeah, the cast was a, a high point. I thought there was not one bad casting choice in this at all. Having um, Colin Farrell as the comedy relief, but almost accidentally is is incredible i thought this was a perfect role for mcconaughey um he's cool calm collect there's a couple of parts where he kind of changes it up but throughout he's just he's very mcconaughey almost Mm -hmm. um but my ultimate is between michelle dockery and charlie hunnam i thought those two were that i thought that was just pinnacle for them um yeah, I, there was not one bad casting choice. Hugh Grant was fantastic. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good for me. What do you think of the cast, yeah. Dex? For me, I think, like he said, all the cast was phenomenal. But I think for me, Colin Farrell stole the show here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just every time Colin Farrell was on scene, it's like or on the scene, something wild was about to happen, and it was going to be pretty funny. Uh, just like even his first appearance, it was like. Where is this going? I have no idea, but I am ready for wherever this takes us. Uh, so yeah, Colin Farrell kind of stole the show for me, but uh, you know, uh, McConaughey is really good. Hunnam is uh, really good as like this very unassuming looking, like total badass gangster. Um, you know, it's just all all a great time, really. Yeah, what doesn't what doesn't come out in the uh, trailers uh, a lot with this is that Charlie Hunnam's character plays he's like well he's the muscle for Matthew McConaughey his right hand man but he he plays a little bit of an OCD uh, character but that doesn't really come out a lot 
in the uh, come out a lot in the trailers or maybe even at all in the trailers. And you see a couple of times where he almost like snaps. And I think what would have taken his character to the extra level is if he like really went over the top. And yeah, you see where, you know, he shoots a gun up in the, this is in the trailers, where he shoots a gun up in the air and he sort of like yells and stuff. But like this, uh, if he would have like all went almost over the top at least one time, I think that would have been great because you saw where he's nearly like snapped on a bunch of people. I think, oh, we got a dog on scene, folks. And right, I, we had the official podcast dog. Official podcast dog. All right, sorry. There was a dog, and I just had to say <laughs> hi. Um, the thing with the with Colin Farrell for me, he was he was for me also the best part of this film. Um, had one of the best lines, and even though it was in every promotional trailer, it was great. It's his name is Fahuk, but it sounds like Fahuk because it's spelled like a ph. <laughs> or what did he yeah. say? His name. I'm butchering that line, but it. it yeah. His name is his name is Fahuk, but it sounds like Fahuk because it's spelled like with a ph. And he's like, calm the Fahuk down, and he's like, confused by everything <laughs> yeah, that he said. Fahuk out of the car. Yeah, exactly. So that that was in every promotional trailer, but it was still came off great, and he came off great as this sort of just where is he gonna go sort of guy, and um. And how they introduce him is also very interesting, too. This is probably his, you know, he started recently in his role as Colin Farrell of showing a lot more sort of range than I thought he had earlier in his career. Yeah. You know, I don't know. For me, that's what at least I feel that way. But um, this is definitely his probably best role, I think, probably since, I don't know, The Lobster. I never really saw Widows, but... um, I think the lobster was probably his last really great sort of uh, role and almost nothing like, definitely nothing like this, but this is sort of like his seven psychopaths role. Honestly, if you ask me. Yeah. um, I I didn't think about it until you brought it up, but he really, it's a very diverse role for him, even though the character is very, it's a very like calm and collected and very like forward thinking. Um, but it, it's, it's a very complex character played very cool. And I don't think that's a character we've ever really seen Colin Farrell play. Usually he's kind of a wannabe action star running and yelling and, and shooting and whatnot. And this was a very, uh, um, just chill feral but it, it's such a useful and cool way exactly i think guy Ritchie actually brought you know brought the best out in him with uh with that i thought michelle dockery didn't get a lot to do um unfortunately i i know that she was a lot of and that that's another point that i kind of had that i'm gonna take off is that she didn't have a lot to do in the story and her and McConaughey's relationship was, while it was good, there's like very little backstory there in the movie. And, and we're just supposed to think that he loves this woman. Like, and they're married, so obviously he does, but it's just like the only thing that he, McConaughey, gets mad or overreacts for is his wife. Mm-hmm. And that's not really a spoiler, but it, it, the only thing that he like will go out of his way to really 
defend are his marijuana empire and his wife. Like everybody else yeah. is, everybody else, you know, is whatever. They don't, he doesn't really care. Um, and you see pretty early on in the film, McConaughey is like a bad person, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And so, so it's sort of an interesting dynamic they had. She didn't have a lot to do, but when she was on camera, uh, she was great. She was very, you know, I hate to use this term, but she was very, you know, suave, I guess, and sexy, which was yeah, like, yeah. which is, she played very, she played very, very well. Um, but yeah, I think the supporting roles, Hugh Grant just really going for it with whatever he was doing. Yeah. Uh, plays this stuffy nose sort of, I don't know. He's a, he's a crass beat reporter, but, uh, well, he's like a private investigator, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Can we get into that, that storytelling choice? I want to know what you guys thought about that. Okay. We will get into that. About Hugh Grant. About Hugh Grant. So the way that this, the way that this, uh, and then we'll hop into spoilers, just so you know, when you go in to watch this movie, it's told from Hugh Grant's perspective, pretty much as like an unreliable narrator. So, so it has these flourishes and things that didn't actually, you know, and they'll tell you in the movie, but that like didn't actually happen because he's basically reciting like a screenplay that he wrote while ta- uh, tailing uh, Matthew McConaughey and all, and all of these side characters. So the, the storytelling choice is that it's like a story within the movie that Charlie Hunnam and um, Hugh Grant are reciting back and forth to each other. But there will be these big flourishes that turns out that, okay, well, Hugh Grant is just, these are things that he wish would have happened. Right? Am I, am I on point with that? Yeah, it's like in Mean Girls when Lindsay Lohan like turned into a jungle cat in the middle of it. And yeah. you're like, what the fuck? And then you realize it didn't happen. Uh, it felt like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's actually an incredible um, comparison. It, it very much is like that. Um, but it adds like a nice little texture to the film because there's a lot of parts where you're like, did this happen? Is this true? Is this just Hugh Grant's character embellishing? It's fun. It's it's a great use of how we watch the film through sort of this unreliable narrative. Yeah, and I you know, I had uh and there was a there's a few parts that you're like that you're like, okay, could I, you know, take that or leave it or the way that, you know, how the entire movie wraps up is sort of I could take that or leave that too, mm-hmm. and we'll get into that as well. But that's sort of where I am with the film a B minus it's doing okay in the box office right now. I think it's made like 36 million, which is, you know, okay for a, for a rated R film in January when everybody's sort of movied out. But um, I'll be interested to see how this does in the box office. Things are getting, by the way, things are getting um, tanked in international box offices right now, uh, especially in China because of coronavirus. Like, bunch of theaters were shut down so nothing is really like happening in china which is be interesting to see how these affects these films going forward uh over this sort of thing uh, for sure ugh. yeah that, uh, that's that's tough like 
I, you know, sometimes uh, I don't know how they, how, if you're putting out a film, you predict that a virus is going to shut down, <laughs> you know, yeah. every cinema in China, but that's uh, unfortunate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that does suck. <laughs> um, no, I mean, y'all don't I, have I, to I, add, I y'all don't have to add further to that. I was just kind of, no, I mean, I, I, I did think about this a little while ago. Um, because worldwide markets kind of do dictate a lot of what's happening in films um, a lot. We, we know that like movies will change themselves to appease foreign markets. So it will be interesting to see that like once kind of we as the world get over this and China and overseas markets start going back to theaters, will like the gentleman get to have its week run to see if it was actually, you know, we'll get a boost or will it just be forgotten? Mm-hmm. And we start to see like giant numbers for opening weekends of movies that once we people start going back into. Yeah, I'm not sure how well this would have done in in China anyway, but it is interesting to think that sometimes, you know, this movie could probably do better. And the way that these movies get made is people go and see them. There's a market for them. And and we complain all the time, uh, or at least I see on Twitter, people complain all the time about comic book movies and sequels and yada, yada, yada. I don't care, but when you have films like this where directors are taking swings and doing something different, and, and this is right up Guy Ritchie's you know, wheelhouse of like crime comedy, mm-hmm. but like when they're taking these swings and doing these things uh, that you know haven't been done in a long time and, and, uh, or you know, just brand new ideas, and they don't get supported, then we wonder like, okay, well, why do, you know, why don't these movies exist? So it'll be interesting yeah. to see if it, if it can get its sort of market value, even though, you know, things are going down in China with that, with that virus, which are scary in its own right. But um, anyway, so yeah, that is the gentleman. We are going to uh, actually do a couple quick spoiler review for this movie. Um, anything else you want to say pre-spoilers uh i just wanted to mention that i like how the movie feels very british but not like james bond british it's like (laughs) it feels like actually being in london uh you know you have like kind of these themes of like grime rap you have like sort of like the british royalty element of it you have Mm -hmm. like kind of all these other things going on you have the american in it obviously like it just feels like walking around london like these are people you might actually run into, even if you're not like running into murders all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really like that element of the film. And I wonder like how that will affect its like, kind of internationalness whenever, uh, you know, China kind of recovers and stuff like that. Yeah. I think this will be better. I mean, Americans will like this movie more than I feel like they have liked some of Richie's probably previous work like snatch and things like that, mm-hmm. because well, obviously you had the most one of the most familiar faces in American cinema in Matthew McConaughey driving that. And that was probably one of the things that a studio was like, All right, we'll make this film mm-hmm. but we need a you know, like an American star or something in it. Even though Snatch had Brad Pitt, but still it's just sort of like it was him with a crazy accent. Yeah, the Dags. Do you like Dags? Yeah, exactly. Do you like Dags? Uh-huh. But yeah, so I I uh, I did actually enjoy those are very good points. I did enjoy that. I enjoyed um, 
it feels like it feels like Richie wanted to make a film about all right what what do we want to do we want to make a film I want to make a film about pot all right so I gotta have myself in it obviously so I'm just gonna put an avatar for myself Matthew McConaughey let's just do that an American avatar (laughs) uh yeah so also quick side note everyone in this film looks incredible yeah just yep just killing it with everybody with um their outfit choices and beards and style just incredible everyone looks great oh for sure as i was walking out i'm like sitting there like putting on my north face jacket and for a brief moment i'm thinking of putting on like this burberry wool coat which is not true but like it does make you feel cool it's it is the costume is fantastic um, but yeah, I was going to tack on that. I, I totally agree that um, using McConaughey as an avatar it might not have been Richie's choice or it might have. I'm not sure. But this film does feel a lot like Snatch and Lockstock. Um, but those are not as easily accessible movies because they're very British and there's a lot of slang and lingo that an American audience wouldn't get like you would understand it through context clues, but you don't feel like you're part of the joke. You don't feel like you're um, really a part of the film. Whereas I think using McConaughey as this sort of American avatar allows the audience to feel a part of it, that you feel like you are this sort of transplant American in this society. And there's nothing that doesn't make you or doesn't take you out of it. There's no lingo. There's no, locations or anything that are specifically British that you're like, Oh, I don't know what's going on. I'm not a part of this. This isn't kind of part of how I approach movies or just general life. Mm -hmm. So we are going to spoil this movie. So if you have not seen the gentleman, uh, we're going to try to put a time code, uh, in the description of this. If I don't, and you can't find one, um, just skip ahead until we get to the final, uh, until we're talking about Matthew McConaughey a lot, cause we're going to have a discussion about his career. So just 15 seconds ahead until you get to that, it'll help our, uh, algorithm out anyway. So thank you very much. But, um, if you don't want the gentleman spoiled, just go ahead and skip right now. Did you do it? Keep skipping. Okay. So we're doing, yeah. <laughs> That's the final warning. All right, so we're doing uh, spoilers. What did y'all think about sort of the twists in this movie about how, you know, they go through this whole song and dance, Hugh Grant's character and Charlie Hunnam, about how they're, you know, he's been tailing them forever, but then then Charlie Hunnam's like, well, but I've also been tailing you. I thought that was hilarious. But yeah, that was, awesome. that was mm-hmm. really funny, and I think it played off well. What did you think the about that shot first of him twist? In the bush, and then Hunnam's behind him in the bush. Yeah, you see his glasses. Right. That was that was really yeah. funny. What did we think about the first twist, where he figured everything, he figured everything out because he'd also been tailing him, which was kind of like it's it's stupid, but it was funny. Uh, yeah, I thought it worked great. I love that. Um, you know, I was sitting in the theater, kind of just like, well, shit. Like, um, yeah. like it's just one of those like fun dumb twists like it's not gonna be like something that holds up to like this like super stringent logic or anything like that but you know if you're just watching the movie for a good time it's like yeah i'm on board let's go let's keep doing this yeah um 
if you hold it under a microscope, it kind of falls apart because, like, how is Charlie Hunnam really on top of all of this while also running a drug business or being the right-hand man? Mm -hmm. But uh, for, like, an actual twist, it's so much fun because part of it, or you really do go through a lot of the film thinking that Hugh Grant is somehow the super genius and, like, really is on top of everything. And you kind of worry that they're just going to shoot him and then this doesn't get resolved. But the fact that you get the twist that they knew that he knew that they knew like I, it's brilliant it's fun yeah i thought for the longest time i was like okay well they're just gonna kill like he, charlie because you've seen throughout that charlie hunnam apparently is like a stone cold killer like yeah, kill a bitch. Yeah. yeah so like you know a dude fell out a window they nearly like kill he nearly killed like a teenager you know like he uh they just didn't really mind that they dropped a guy on a train tracks and pushed the, it wasn't him, but uh -huh. you know, they, he saw a guy fall to his death and he was like, whatever. Um, it was we, like an inconvenience to him. He was like, well, shit. Yeah. yeah. And I think he played that really well, where it's like, everything was sort of like, Oh God. All right. So I'll deal with this now. You know what I mean? Like everything was an inconvenience to, uh, to hunt him. So yeah. I think, you know, I was just thinking, okay, well he's just going to kill him especially cause he had the body in his freezer and everything when they're taking the body out of, uh, out of the freezer <laughs> and like yeah. Hugh Grant walks out and he's like, uh, do we have a problem here? He's like, I don't know. Do we have a problem here? He's like, I forgot to wash my hands. That was great. Um, I thought they were just going to kill him and that was going to be how they sort of tied that loose end. But the way that they end up tying the loose end with, finding all of his blackmail and his backup blackmail mm -hmm. and then and then how they blackmail and this is where uh, you, Colin Farrell's comedy relief really came in handy when they uh when they blackmail the newspaper man newspaper yeah. editor disgusting that, but was so oof. funny in the the way that they reacted to it was hilarious just a straight ripoff of Black Mirror. Yeah, I thought that at that exact same thought. I was like, oh, yeah, this is the Black Mirror. <laughs> I was um, like, oh, we, we uh, kind of did this already, but that's cool. Wait, wasn't he? Yeah. Was he in that Black Mirror episode? Who? That newspaper edit. No, <laughs> it was another British guy. Whatever. Sorry. <laughs> They're all the same person. <laughs> wow. Jeez. Um, every every <laughs> British character actor that's like over the age of 45, all the same I person. I always love this is more of a just a, a guy Ritchie kind of um, accent on his film is that even the most boring people have like these big mobster s names. The fact that a newspaper guy is named Big Dave <laughs> is fantastic. <laughs> like, it's just, but he turns out to be like this little unimportant man, but he gets like this hilarious like badass name like. If you ever met somebody and they introduced themselves as Big Dave, you'd be like, how did you get that? What happened? Yeah. Big, big Dave. Like somebody didn't like you a lot. Like that's sort of what, I don't know. Big Dave. Yeah, that that is a very good, like they, and because, mostly because of how he plays out is that, um, is that he plays out and you think, oh, well, he's got, you know, he's going to get something on top of Matthew McConaughey. And then he just fizzles out so hard, like nothing happens with his character, except for that. Spoiler alert, they film him having sex with a pig. You don't see that part, mm -hmm. but he sees that. Thank God we don't see that part. I thought for a second we we're like, are we going to see this? 
Like, yeah. thank God yeah. we didn't. I really was afraid of that, but <laughs> thank yeah. God. Thank uh, God uh, we did not. But him showing, but when Colin Farrell shows it to Charlie Hunnam in the movie, and he's like, you you, you can't unsee that, can you? He's like, <laughs> oh, no. Fuel. He goes, no, that's nightmare fuel. I, that's burned in there. I was like, I was in a theater of like olds, like old olds, and uh, like like ninety year olds that were in my theater yeah. at one o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday. Um, but they all cracked up at that, so they, you know, they they were in on it too. They were in on the uh, pig sex blackmail too. Ugh. But, um, but yeah, so that the first twist comes and goes and you're, and you're kind of like, okay. And they, they put, they put him in a box and I don't know what they were going to do with him, but they just, <laughs> he, he reveals that, that they're also being followed in addition to Mark Strong's character, which we didn't even really get into Mark Strong playing an interesting character in this. He's like the secondary villain. In a movie with like four villains, yeah, exactly. Because it's like, I guess the first villain technically is um, Hugh Grant's character because he has all the blackmail, and you immediately start rooting for kind of like Charlie Hunnam because of the way he looks and the way that he's dressed and how the story is set up so far. In it's the oldest trick in the book is the first character that you see in film is the person that you're going to root for. Mm-hmm. So you're rooting for Matthew McConaughey, even though he's a bad guy and he's running a drug empire and you're rooting for him to succeed. So you're immediately rooting for Charlie Hunnam as well, too. Yeah. Um, so Hugh Grant's a kind of a bad guy. Uh, you're introduced to um, Mark Strong, who immediately I wasn't confused by the twist that he was going to. I was not confused by that at all. Larry, like I saw I kind of like the two mile horn. I kind of saw that coming. I was like, there's the way that they yeah. set him up. I was like, oh, he's a bad guy. Also, two time out, it's Jeremy Strong. Oh, was I saying Mark Strong? Yeah, Mark Strong. Oh, that's a... Uh, recent 1917 yes. film. Revenge uh, for me. No, this is not even <laughs> anywhere close. <laughs> not even anywhere close. Famous porn actor Mark Strong. Oh, well, to be fair, that does sort of sound... And no, Mark Strong is a very <laughs> yeah, that a does, great that, industry name. That does sort of sound up there in the industry names. Mark Strong. Yikes. Um <laughs> nowhere near your nowhere near your name drop yeah. though. So thank you. Mark Strong, British actor, Jeremy Strong, succession, Amer- very American actor. But he plays a Jewish billionaire. He's not gay, but he's very effeminate in this mm-hmm. movie. Yep. So he plays against type. At least the type he plays in, you know, Succession. You know, I could have. I thought his character was good. I thought he played well against type. Um, he really isn't in the movie for all that long. Um, but you know, I I kind of saw that twist coming though, that he was gonna he and Henry Golding's character, who played way against type, were gonna team up. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Jer- yeah. Gold- Jeremy Strong's. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Strong's character was kind of the only one I didn't like, and not like I it ruined the film or anything. Um, I yeah, they they definitely did telegraph that like yeah, this dude's gonna screw us over somehow, and 
obviously you're rooting for McConaughey to win out in the end. But his character was always so like sly and weird and uncomfortable, even like in the scene where they give him the paperweight gun and everything. Like the whole time you're like, are you going to poison them? Are you going to shoot them? What is happening? Why are you so distant? What's, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if that was a character choice or they just didn't have enough lines or things for him to do that he just comes off as like almost a super villain. Um, and it might be a good thing. It was just very off-putting me, for me for a while. And then it doesn't help that he had that weird, like crooked, like messed up hobo-ish hat. Yeah, I don't know what those are called, but his was weird. The whole time he was just weird. He wasn't like, ooh, intriguing and cool and mysterious or like extremely menacing. He was just weird. Uh, I like just un like not unenjoyable, but just like not a fun weird. Just yeah. weird. Yeah, it was, it was all... also. Go ahead. Uh, it's also weird for me that in a film where we're talking drugs and being a gangster and murder, and he's just like dropping Wall Street business terms. I think that's what they wanted to kind of go for. Yeah. It definitely, looking at it, it definitely is. Is they definitely wanted a guy that was like, well, I don't get my hand, you know, I don't get my hands dirty. He's sort of the polar opposite to Matthew McConaughey's cool, cool sort of guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> like. And I said that in our last podcast, but he's like the the cool movie star. Like he's definitely the sort of the opposite. And I guess I know they really wanted to play into, well, he doesn't get his hands dirty and he is sort of weaselly and sort of, you know, has worked his way in somehow with these lords and these ladies by also selling drugs, I think, is how is how he made his money. Um but, you know, what do we uh, we didn't really touch on it either. What do we think about Henry Golding about playing sort of this? He played he was over the top, but he was uh, playing a bad guy, really, for the first time. I know he played sort of like a scumbag in. Um, sorry, I'm going to a simple favor. And oh, uh, yeah, but not like a bad guy. He was just sort of like a douchebag. Um but what do we think about him playing like an actually like in this film? He is a very bad guy. He's like a bad person. Oh, for sure. And uh, it kind of turned up the badness to like a really weird level towards the end. Like when he's about to start raping the wife, you're like, oh, yes. uh, yeah, what a weird term. Coming. I yeah, it was like that wasn't set up at all. Like we weren't really looking to go that way at any point during this. But uh you know, other than that weird, like, turn of the script, I thought Henry Golding did a really good job acting this character. Uh, you know, he, like, felt appropriately, like, wild, cool, smart. Um, I think he, uh, you know, he played kind of the, I'm tired of being the, um, the lackey uh, role that's pretty common with villains. I think he did that well enough uh, to make it make sense. Um, whenever he killed his uh, boss, uh, Lord George, or whatever his name was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I thought he did a really, he had a really good performance in this movie, like everybody else. Now, with that scene, though, because that was still when Hugh Grant and Charlie Hunnam were, like, narrating to each other, is that a scene that he made up for his screenplay of how they killed him? Because Hunnam mentions, like, oh, so that's how you see it in your mind is what happened or something like that? Yeah, because Hugh Grant tells us that he, after um, Hunnam saves Matthew McConaughey from the hit that we see in the beginning, 
um, he doesn't follow them. And so we get, and I actually, now that you bring it up, like it, it does become very fantastical because they get T-boned by the truck. He gets out of the car, somehow sprints all the way to the car shop and then saves them. I guess it's public knowledge by that point that dry eye is dead. And so that's how we get there. But it, it might actually be true because it becomes very super villainy for him to watch his two lackeys die, wrestle Michelle Dockery, and then attempt to rape her. Yeah, and I think that was sort of like a flourish that that Guy Ritchie put in Hugh Grant's script. You know, and it gets mm-hmm. kind of, when you're describing it like this, it gets a little weird and confusing, but it's like, in addition to having all of this, in addition to having all of this, uh, these photos and these recordings and stuff of all of these men that are involved in this scheme to sell Matthew McConaughey's drug empire, uh, Hugh Grant also has written a screenplay. So there are flourishes in the film where it was like, this is this is how Hugh Grant imagined this happening and i know we're not saying any of these characters names because i can i for the life of me i couldn't uh his name's fletcher yeah you know when he's when fletcher is telling the story to raymond this is sort of the he puts in these flourishes because these are definitely things that he thinks happen or he wants to have happened because it makes for a better story which is a funny choice by richie to be like all right this isn't how it happened but this is how I want you. It gets sort of meta. Yeah. Like weirdly, weirdly meta. Right. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. He goes to the Miramax like offices yeah. to sell a screenplay. Like, yeah. And so like, I missed that, but that was that guy Richie that he was pitching to because right behind him was a man from uncle poster, which is the ultimate meta to have Hugh Grant stand in front of a movie that Hugh Grant was in directed by Guy Ritchie in a Guy Ritchie film. Yeah, I don't think it was Guy Ritchie. I don't think, I mean, okay. he was a kind of a bigger guy. I don't think Guy, Guy Ritchie's sort of this sort of, I mean, he's not little, but he, he, I don't think that was yeah, him. Yeah. It was um, a moment like I, I like looked away and then I looked up and I got one glimpse and then I, I did the rest of the scene. It's just on Hugh Grant. So I was like, what, did, did he just show up in his own film? What, what, what is this? Uh, no, that, na- that guy's name is Andrew uh, Greenow. Um, he's been in some, he's been a player in some of other, of Richie's other films. I think he was in Sherlock, according to his IMDb, he was in Sherlock Holmes, but, um, Oh, oh, Mark Strong was in Sherlock. So sorry. Yeah, exactly. We'll just bring it all back around. So yeah, that's how the the film kind of wraps up is because he, uh, uh, in the promo, you see a guy fall out of a window. So that's not really a spoiler, but it turns out, spoiler, that, you know, and we're in spoilers. I don't know why I'm saying spoiler. Whatever. Spoiler. 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 The guy that falls out of a window is a Russian oligarch's son. Um, And so in addition to them trying to have to find out who is sabotaging Mickey's plan to sell his weed company, um, is they have to try to avoid these Russian hitmen and Colin Farrell saves, uh, saves Raymond and Fletcher gets away with his script and that's it. He doesn't, he doesn't get his money, but he does get away with his script. And, uh, 
it turns out were the were the boxers Colin Farrell trying to kill Raymond or trying to kill Mickey at the end? I believe up, they were. Yeah, and they accidentally just end up killing the Russians. Yeah, because he gets yeah, kidnapped. I yeah, I didn't understand that scene either because they call Colin Firth and they say we're gonna take care of this for you, and then just hang out. But why would they care? Unless they think he's like still like forever owed. indebted yeah. to this, yeah, he's forever indebted, and they're trying to get him out by killing that. That might okay. That sort of I is. Mean, to be I, fair, yeah. Colin Farrell just like made them make a guy fuck a pig, so like they probably think these are really awful people we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah, these are awful, terrible people. Why are we doing it? Why are we doing this? And it's like well, hell of a like hell of a return on investment by Charlie Hunnam to get those guys involved. Because, yeah. I mean, they raided one marijuana, and granted, that marijuana plant that he has underground probably makes millions and millions of dollars in the in the context of the movie. But like, these guys raid one marijuana plant, and it's like now we have now we now we need you to kid, we need you to commit high crimes. Like <laughs> we need you to commit, you know, kidnapping and bribery and all this stuff because you stole from us this one time. You know I really I mean? wanted, yeah. The 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 kids' character motivation was weird to me. Um, that they went from raiding this, um, essentially pod farm to murder. Like, I, I guess they just wanted to be gangsters. But are are we to like believe that they're gonna train to be like important boxers, or it's just this like something that they do? Oh, well, they they made you think. They made you think that it was just like. I don't know. They, they, they're one, I kind of think they were wannabe, but also it, yeah, they were yeah. bad kids to begin with, according to Colin Farrell's character. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, he's like trying yeah. to rescue them from the streets and like get them out of it or whatever. Oh, I guess so. That That's what that whole restaurant scene was. Yeah. It doesn't have a lot of, it doesn't have a lot of backstory, but it does sort of set it up to where, and he says it several times. It's like, well, they're bad, you know, they're, they're bad kids, but, um, you know, I'm just trying to help them out. Yep. <laughs> so they just have them do more bad shit on behalf of <laughs> on behalf of this drug empire. What do we think? Because this is definitely and we got to say the way that it wraps up is final spoiler. The way that it wraps up is that he's trying to sell Fletcher's trying to sell his screenplay of how this all works out, which is essentially the same screenplay as the film that we're watching to Miramax to a Guy Ritchie sort of character with a man for, like you were saying, with a man from Uncle Poster. What do we feel? How do we feel about that? Because I was sort of like, I thought it was like, okay, well, this is meta. And then this was his attempt to be meta and funny. Yeah. But I was sort of like, I kind of left it going like, he didn't, I mean, meh. And then he's re-kidnapped by Charlie Hunnam's character. So they get him in the end. But it is sort of just like, eh, you know? Yeah. I I left wondering kind of a hand-fisted like some... joke. Yeah, and I know it was a joke, but I kind of left wondering is this some like ultimate meta commentary that Guy Ritchie's trying to make that like scripts are just stolen ideas or are just like spectacularized ideas of what ultimately is like a mundane situation in the criminal world. It was it's fun, but it's also super weird in context mm -hmm. of film to have a film within a film being sold. What did you think about yeah. that ending? Next. Uh, 
I thought the ending was, uh, you know, it it was a loose end that had to be tied up, like him getting re-kidnapped. Um, but, you know, as far as, like, the script selling thing goes, I mean, I just thought it was kind of funny. I didn't think it was, like, extremely profound or, uh, yeah. like, deep commentary or anything. At least I didn't, like, look at it that way. I was just like, okay, that's kind of funny. And then him getting re-kidnapped, I was like, all right, all the loose ends are tied up. We're done. No sequels. Like, this is it. Uh <laughs> Yeah, that definitely is what that was. I was like, this is over. Yeah. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? It, it, it ties back to Hugh Grant saying, like, you got a sequel. Yeah, exactly. He's like, and then well, just I need... Cut it off now. Yeah, I need Mickey's... Uh, I need Mickey... It, what happens to him? Well, what you need now is a sequel. Yeah, and I think that that definitely was a little sort of jab, Guy Ritchie jab of being like... Yeah. Which is weird from him because he's just made billions. Of, um, he made a billion dollar Disney movie. He's made yep. two yeah. Sherlock Holmes movies. He's making a third one, or I think he's at least producing a third Sherlock Holmes movie. So it's just like that's yeah, a weird that's sort of I'm, commentary by him. That's why I think it's like a meta commentary. Like, is he really just saying like this is an experience he's had where he's just constantly like, hey, I have this original idea for a script, and immediately the studio is like, no, change the ending because we got to make sequels off of this. Like, yeah, it's, maybe that's how it's really going on. I did feel like a lot of this script was like things that Guy Ritchie was sort of mad at, um, you know, get it, like marijuana not being legal in the United United Kingdom or something. I don't even know if he's a pot smoker, but it just seems like an in, it seems like an interesting drug to sort of make a film about now. With, mm-hmm. especially with the legality of it in the United States and how readily available it is to people mostly across the country. Mm-hmm. So I guess it was just like, yeah, I, think that, I think that is like a thing that lets you root for Matthew McConaughey's character is like, it's just weed. Like it's yeah. not that bad. Uh, yeah. Like and if he had like a multi-million dollar crack empire, like, you know, that's bad. That's a t- completely different movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is definitely like a different movie. That becomes like The Wire all of a sudden or something like that. That's yeah. a completely different thing or like Crash or something. But he, uh, he, but it is weird because we root for him, even though, and I think that does, you're right. I think that does allow you to root for McConaughey's character because you're all, you're just like, you're just like uh, pot. Like it's legal in the, especially in the United States when viewer, people are watching this be like, it's legal. It's legal in a majority of states, and maybe will be legal federally, like within yeah. like ten years. So I don't think people are really that concerned with that drug anymore. But it's also McConaughey's character is a murderer. <laughs> like early yeah. on, they established that he's a killer. Yeah, he murders some guys with a machete. Yeah, brutally. Which is like we just brush past that because he's still he's still this suave sort of guy. Um, which is, you know, kind of uh, funny to say, but I think you're right. I think that does yeah. allow him to still be like play this rootable character because they do. And he does mention is like, why just only pot? Because he could if he has if he's smart enough to have this system for pot, then he definitely could be like he says in the film, I could have made more money with cocaine or, you know, uh, heroin like the Chinese people in the film. White or brown powder. Yeah, yeah but yep. he doesn't. He doesn't feel the need to do that, or because it would destroy too many people, which is also a weird thing to say because he is a murderer. Again, we cannot yeah. reiterate. I feel like I can't reiterate that enough that he was McConaughey was a killer in this movie. Yet we're yeah. still being like, oh yeah, glad he got away. 
Um, yeah, it, it's always easier to root for the lesser evil, but um, I think the other easier part is that we're one of the themes that we're constantly told, and even Charlie Hunnam gets his own line to say it, um, is that it is a rags to riches story. We get to watch McConaughey go from this trailer park where we're told he's a super genius and he gets into Oxford and that's how we get him to London. And now he's hanging out with royalty and they're depending on him to, you know, continue their lives and things like mm-hmm. that. So you want to cheer for him because it, it's, it's an easy fantasy to buy in that you could be trailer park trash into somebody where the Royals want you. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, circling back to, you know, a couple of things that I think, I think Guy Ritchie was sort of like mad at or maybe like irritated with. So he just put him in a script like it, the whole th- thing about Britain, you know, being able to walk wherever you wanted to walk and like walk through property and people snooping on each other in the very beginning. <laughs> that, that just 10 minute, like you didn't have to. He's like, how do you hide all this? He's like, well, people snoop a lot. And he was just like mad at that for some reason. Um, and then. Also, a, a thing that I found weird, they go through this whole thing of trying to save these royals' daughter um, from a basically like a crack den. And that's a kind of a great scene. It's where you really get, you kind of figure out who Charlie Hunnam's character is. Uh, and he kills it in that. But, you know, then they kill her off in this montage yeah. of like heroin and stuff. Which is like, okay, well, why did, you know, I don't know. Because then, then they don't really talk about it. I guess it just to show you how it destroys people, I guess, maybe. But there's nothing else discussed about that. They're like, she dies of an overdose. And that's it. And that's yeah. it. But they go through this whole big thing of trying to find her. And it was great. It was the fun, one of the greatest, you know, funniest parts of the movie when they're chasing those kids down for their phones. But, like, you know, I, was, I just found that kind of weird. Um, yeah, I, I, I take it as like another one of Richie's kind of backhanded commentary of this sort of like, it might not be like every uh, drug addiction can affect everybody. Like it's not just like, you know, poor people that are shooting up heroin, but also the rich are affected by it. Um, yeah, it could be. I, 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 yeah. Um, but there's also something that was kind of dropped in our laps and then forgotten about it. And it's coming from big Dave's office and that like, they're trying to expose this pop star, this British pop star that also is addicted to heroin or something. Um, and it's shown like on posters on his wall and it's briefly talked about, and then it gets dropped almost immediately after it's talked about. So I think there is like a subtle commentary that, maybe of like idolization and like those that you look up to are also just as dirty as you know the regular people are yeah it could be i mean it just some of the stuff with the with the whole heroin stuff and and i know they had to sell it because there's this big confrontation between mcconaughey and the uh chinese drug kingpin which was disgusting by the way oh yeah orange vomit oh man he throws up all over the place and oh, he's much vomit. Yeah, like projectile. It's, and uh, it's exorcism it, level of vomiting. Yeah, it was crazy, man. And then he's just like it was funny, he's like he gives him like two Alka Seltzer. He's like, You'll either shit your brains out and die, or you'll take this Alka Seltzer or something. And like, <laughs> yeah. like you'll be fine. Yeah. 
really weird way to wrap that up. But <laughs> Yeah, just that was a weird sort of cure-all was this two Alka-Seltzer tablets to this poison he just gave him. Here's some airborne. You're going to be fine. Yeah, it'll, <laughs> it'll be good. You'll be fine. Anyway, so that's all that I kind of really have uh, about the film. Hell of a time in the theater. I, I think, I think you know, to wrap it up, you know, we all gave it a, sort of a B. You gave it an A, uh, Dex. You, you also have a metric where you say, you know, go see it in the theater. Yeah. What What do you? Um, how do you feel about that? I think definitely go see that one in a theater. Like that's a movie. Like if you got kids, it's worth like getting a sitter, going to the movies like one weekend. Like I think that's a movie you'll see and you'll be like, that was a good time. Yeah. It's a good day. I felt. Um, before we wrap up, I just I wanted to briefly talk to you guys about Michelle Dockery's character, um, and not so much about her acting because I think we 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 touched on that enough. But her character is a bit weird, or not weird, but like I I want more of her backstory. Like, mm. how did she get into car imports? Is this some sort of like, is it an above the line thing? Is this like an illegal empire, or is she like? illegally modifying cars and stealing parts what's going on or is this sort of like a money laundering front i don't know i was just interested in that they gave her so much room to play and toys to play with in this sort of car importing and fixing shop well it was interesting because it's like she kind of is like put off by golding knowing that the parts are stolen or whatever, and he she, he just gives them to her for free. So she's not above like any of that, like taking that. But it, I I think it is yeah. like sort of like a clean business, and it was a sort of a kind of a, a weird thing. Not a weird thing. I mean, it was just a choice that Guy Ritchie did, where it, she's sort of this female empowerment character, where most yeah, of the yeah most of the all if if not all but one. Um, of her workers are female, female mechanics. So that was, you know, sort of a thing that Richie, I feel like threw in there. Cause there weren't a lot of women in this movie, like in a, in a movie called the gentleman, there yeah. weren't a lot of movie uh, women in this movie. And one of them dies of a heroin overdose. So like <laughs> yeah. tough, that's but true. that's very tough. But um, yeah, that was a thing I kind of took points off for too, is like, why, and I said this earlier, obviously it's his wife and he loves his wife. Like, like his effect, his, his like dedication to her is obviously he'd, you know, murder several people for her and like all this stuff and want to sell his empire, his potentially billion dollar empire to go be retired in the countryside with her somewhere. So like, you know, obviously he loves his wife and, and as you should, but I don't know, like their backstory isn't there. You know what I mean? Yeah. What, what have the they only... gone through? Yeah. Or how did they meet? But I don't know. Um, and I know this is me just looking way too much into it, but we're told like in very, very clear tones that Matthew McConaughey's character, like has taken the nth degree, like special operations level of making sure nobody knows about his empire. And the first shot we get of Michelle Dockery is in this um, pearlescent BMW that is decked out with an Instagram tag on the door. Like, 
clearly she's living like this car enthusiast life out in the open. So I feel like it would draw a lot of heat. Yeah, like, maybe I, maybe it's a maybe it is a front, but yeah. Yeah, it it was just interesting that we're told like he works very much in the shadows, and now and his wife is just very out like bedazzled. Look at me. It's an it's an interesting choice that I it just it, I was like oh okay. Dex, you got anything? Any more spoilers? Uh, I thought a lot of the deaths were really badass. <laughs> 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 and that's like something that I think is underappreciated about movies is like it's a good movie death yeah. and I thought they were all pretty badass the uh, <laughs> that two guy... guys that got killed by the tiny bullet oh yeah she just yeah, that was so badass and like I was on the edge of my seat for that because I was like was it just a paperweight this whole time did she just shoot them with like a rubber pellet like what's happening and then they like both like fell down and died and I was like yes yeah, hell of a shot by Michelle Dockery with that uh, with that tiny gun too. Hits both of them right between the eyes um, with that tiny with that tiny gun. So that was that was interesting. And uh, the guy falling out of the window is still really funny. Yeah, so that was that. Was, I don't know. This movie just fun. That's that's all I got to really say yeah. about that. Like we can nitpick it to death, but it's still fun. Yeah, it's still it's still fun. Definitely. I, I would say you don't have to see this in the theaters, but I will say like if you have the chance to rent it, do it because it it, it these movies getting money or having even a second life or are really dependent like movies like this are really dependent on you seeing it. So if you can get off, you know, if you have kids, it is a really good date night movie. Um, go see this. But also if you know comes out on comes out on like Redbox or Amazon or YouTube or wherever. Definitely give it a rent because it is, um, it's not dependent on you seeing it in the cinema, but it is cinema. What am I? Who? Theater. 1940s. Um, the big picture show. The the, the talkies. Um, <laughs> yeah, go see, go, go get out of the, go get out of the sun on a hot day because uh, there's no air conditioner anywhere but the theater. Anyway. <laughs> go see it if you want to it was fun i liked it i enjoyed my time um an hour and five minutes in we gotta really get uh, i like a long podcast but man we really just talk on this thing um yeah we still got some things to go over an hour and five in um we wanted to talk about or at least i did wanted to talk about matthew mcconaughey's career because out of a lot of people in hollywood he has had one of the most interesting careers um of these mega stars and he is like an a-list you know at this point he is an a-list movie star and mostly because you know people know him as matthew mcconaughey he's this all right all right all right you know jk living texas guy and they sort of know him as matthew mcconaughey but over the recent years he's sort of become this prestige actor um so huh sort of Sort of. You say sort of. Why? I mean, he did make Serenity. Yeah. Oh, and this we is nitpick that movie to death. <laughs> uh, a, a podcast, quick plug, a podcast that I listen to um, called Lights, Camera, uh, Barstool is it, very funny, but they just call it Dad Boat. Um, <laughs> Dad Boat the movie is what they call Serenity. Um, but anyway, so this uh 
But, you know, and that's why I wanted to talk about his career, because he, he had this run that is about as good of a run as anybody recently has ever had, where it was like, because he went from this guy that was in some good projects, um, sort of a character actor, uh, good looking, handsome, maybe next star, will he ever be there? Then he goes into doing a lot of, you know... Uh, comedies, uh, romantic comedies. Some of the ones that some ones hold up, some ones are crap. But like he, uh, mm-hmm. looking at you, ghost of girlfriends past. But um, he goes and he has this run, and but recently it's faded, and I don't know why that is. Is it like him picking weird projects? Is it him, you know, not? I, I don't. I don't know. But he had like I keep mentioning he has this run where he gets off of doing Ghosts of Girlfriends Past in 2009, Mm -hmm. which by all accounts is a terrible film. Um, But it has, you know, our girl Emma Stone in it. So, you know, everybody's making bad projects in 2009. Uh, But he goes on this run of The Lincoln Lawyer, uh, which is a vastly underrated film. I feel Bernie Mm -hmm. Killer Joe. The Paperboy, which nobody saw, but he, he then he really gets into it with Mud, Magic Mike, Dallas Buyers Club, The Wolf of Wall Street, Interstellar. Yeah. That is a, that is an impressive run as anybody's had in Hollywood in recent years. Maybe discounting Leo because he does like one project every two yeah. years. I don't uh, know. What do y'all think about his sort of career arc? Because then he's gone back now into not this is his first certified rotten or certified fresh rotten tomato score in a long time since you know i don't know kubo maybe sing i always like to say like actors will always take the one film that's like the one or two that's like i want to buy a new house on the beach so i'm just gonna work on this for yeah six weeks and suddenly i have a million dollars and that's fine I don't think McConaughey's that guy, or he's never really appeared to be a dude that lives this sort of, like, super luxury, I'm a Hollywood actor lifestyle. I think he's just a dude that, like, if a script appears on his door, he just, and he likes it, he's going to do it. I don't think he cares if people like it or not. I think he just, like, I like this film, I'm going to do it. And for (laughs) a brief moment, just kept on making hits. Yeah, that's a very good point. Like... That is probably actually what has happened with him because he's just so loose and, and like by all accounts he's a smart dude, but he's just so like loose and stoner kombucha crystal hippie guy that like he just had, he just uh, kept doing these scripts that ended up being good. He got like you know, maybe he got lucky. I don't know. What do you Jax, what do you think about his career arc? Because you said admittedly you haven't watched a lot of mcconaughey movies yeah i was looking at his filmography earlier knowing we were going to talk about this on the podcast and i was like wow i've seen like four matthew mcconaughey movies uh and not like none of the like really really good ones so uh yeah i just watched dallas buyers club earlier today for the first time and congratulations what a performance (laughs) matthew mcconaughey killed it uh like extremely compelling every time he was on the screen uh, so I got to go back and investigate more of his career. But, uh, you know, I like really just recently got into 
looking at movies critically at all. So like some of my first like thinking critically about Matthew McConaughey movies was like White Boy Rick, where you know he's good, but he's just <laughs> yeah. like that not a good not movie. Good. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I mean he does what what he can, but like I mean he couldn't really do much with that movie. So uh, I think you know kind of the run you described, uh, you know like Interstellar or Wolf of Wall Street, that kind of stuff. I think if he gets more scripts like that with more good movies, then we'll like put him up there with like, you know, the Leos and the Brads and the, you know, the Matt Damons is kind of like the best of that generation. But I think right now he's kind of a tier below those guys. We don't think he's reached the Pantheon yet. I don't think he's in that Leo, Brad, Matt Damon tier, at least not for me. Well, Well, you think Matt Damon's up there? That's another discussion. Matt Damon is incredible. <laughs> I'll bite you over this. Um, no, the the thing about McConaughey now is he's definitely more popular for being McConaughey than he is for being an actor at this point. You know what I mean? Like he's in Lincoln yeah. commercials doing his Lincoln Lincoln uh, thing, man, and he's just sort of mm-hmm. making his making his way about doing all these commercials. And hey, if you want to come to Austin, that'd be great. You know, we'll do. We'll have a shot of wild turkey. Maybe smoke a little reefer. Who cares? Just, <laughs> just keep living. All right, all right, all right. Like that's what he. You know what I mean? Like that's sort of what he's become. Um, like and that's fine, impression. man. Yeah, yeah, it's my best impression. Um, and that's fine, man. Like, I, I love that he's so down for Texas, uh, and then he, like for the state, not necessarily for the Longhorns, because it is sort of funny just to see him like insert himself into like Longhorn sporting events and their minister of culture and he's teaching, you know, a film class, which is just funny. Like, can you imagine walking in without, can you imagine what the waiting list is crazy? Can you imagine if you act like you just needed to take a class and you accidentally got in that class? I don't think there was anybody that got in that class by accident, but you accidentally got in that class like as like a, you know, a junior or something, and, like, you're a business major. You got to take a film and digital media class or something like that. And you just walk in and it's like, hey, what's everybody? Holy crap, is that Matthew McConaughey? Uh, um, I think it was, like, 2015, I went to the Baylor, Texas game at UT. McConaughey was there, and he was – his suite was just, like, a couple down from the suite I was in. And they finally Subtle put a flex. camera on him. It was not my tickets. They were gifts. But, <laughs> uh, his suite was like a couple down. And they, they finally put the camera on him. And they do the chest pounding scene from Wolf of Wall Street. And he does it with them. It was the most transcendental experience I've ever had in my life. <laughs> That's amazing. I was just like, I don't even care that we're losing this game right now. It is incredible <laughs> watching him do a scene that he improv in real life. He steals the screen from Leonardo DiCaprio in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, he has like two minutes of of screen time on that, and he's memorable. Yeah, which is like, which is like people took a lot away from Wolf of Wall, which definitely deserves a rewatch and a takedown by us. But like mm-hmm. the him, him not only stealing the screen from DiCaprio in that scene, people remembering the the thing by you know by him in that they take it away 
and people are doing that in real life, not only for that to happen, but for them to hit for then for him to go and win an Oscar over Leonardo DiCaprio, Leo must've been like, what the hell? Like what? Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Like what do I have to do, man? You mean to tell me the stoner gets an Academy award <laughs> before I, you know, he like screaming internally with like the meme or whatever is definitely what he was like. Just like, yeah, congratulations, Matthew. What the fuck? You know, like, <laughs> No, I don't guy know. Guy just on the screen and drop some racial slurs and get an Oscar for it. Damn it! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, ugh. but I don't know. He just had this sort of weird career arc where it's just he is this. He bursts onto the screen like a firecracker in Days and Confused. Yeah, everybody mm-hmm. remembers him in that movie. Then he's in, you know, he has a weird sort of period where he's in Texas Chainsaw Massacre in his early twenties, and that sucks. He's in Angels in the Outfield, and then it's just like, okay, well, now we're going to definitely make this guy a star. He's in A Time to Kill, which is a great TNT movie. Incredible uh, movie. It's a good TNT movie. Yeah. Stars so, across Sammy J. What? Uh, Samuel Jackson is the bad. Uh, oh, is, yeah. I thought you said, yeah. I, I thought you were saying, like, I don't know what you said, but he's stars, <laughs> there's stars. Yeah, he stars opposite yeah. of Samuel L. Jackson, and that's his film, you know, in A Time to Kill. And so it's just sort yeah, of like, yeah. but then he goes Dex, and he put that on your on, on your list for your McConaughey. It's it's probably one of my most favorite McConaughey films. I know we won't talk about, it, but I just I love it. I'm shouting it out, yeah, Time to Kill. Yeah, it's it's not of those John. Gr- Is it a John Grisham book? Uh, if yeah. not, it, I mean, it's essentially just it a is. To Kill a Mockingbird ripoff, more or less. Oh, it very much is. It, I think I, it might be a Grisham book. But, you know, <laughs> you know, and then he does these weird things, but then he has like a pretty good run where he's in Contact, Amistad, uh, Ed TV, which was a kind of an interesting one. Um, U571, which is actually a really good movie. And then he's... It, he goes and he does, you know, this is where it starts to go downhill. He does the wedding planner, which not a good movie with, uh, our, yeah, with our girl, J. huh? Not good. Yeah. Very, not very much. Not good. Yeah. So then he does that, but he has reign of fire. Um, how, Another movie we need to take down. Oh goodness gracious. Where he plays just, he is off. He is, bananas in that movie and it got panned it's, you know 42 percent on rotten tomatoes he has this run of how to lose a guy in 10 days which has a 42 percent on rotten tomatoes but i feel like people really came along on that movie way later but that movie makes i feel like people did like i know a lot of people that like in that sort of space you know back when yeah. they were teenagers when that came out like you know people in their 30s later 30s that really enjoy that movie. And it sort of set up rom-coms for a good minute. Cause it made a hundred, it made over a hundred million dollars. Yeah. I guess it really did set off. Like that, it was a like, hit. Yeah. Those early two thousands. I only saw it once and I was a kid, so I got nothing on it. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it made $177 million in the box office. So it really kicked off sort of the rom-com, sort of plot there that he was, and definitely his course that he's on, but then he does like, um, tiptoes, Sahara, uh, God, tiptoes. The national treasure ripoff. 
I stand Sahara a little bit. I actually really like that movie. <laughs> Steve Zahn's great, man. Steve, yeah, but it came out at the same time as National Treasure and just tanked. Where Sahara was, is one of the biggest box office fails in a long time. Cost like a hundred and thirty million dollars to make, made like a hundred and seventeen. Um, and then it was just like, then it goes. They call these the lean movies, where uh, McConaughey is just leaning on his co-star, where he does like Failure to Launch. Uh, Ghost of Girlfriends Past. He does a movie that gets literally a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, meaning nobody liked it, called Surfer Dude, where it's just like him and Woody Harrelson. I haven't even seen it, but it's just like him and Woody Harrelson in Hawaii. Like, they wanted to take a trip and make a movie. But, yeah, he makes fun. a shit ton of weed and, like, we're going to go surf, get the camera. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's in Tropic Thunder as a really funny role. Rick Peck, the pecker, in Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) a... in Tropic Thunder. But yeah, then he goes back on this run. And I think I wanted to say, and we, you know, my friends and I have had this discussion about McConaughey because I was so enamored by him in Dallas Buyers Club and where he like sort of, and it's mostly because we love True Detective season one, which I stand stand by as one of the best seasons of television history. Um, He gets into this mode where he kind of becomes this real sort of whisper guy where everything's mm-hmm. sort of a mystery and everything's not as it seems. And he's real sort of cool and calm and collected. And he just, time is a flat circle. And that that whole, he gets into that character for a lot of his the rest of his movies. Yeah. yeah. And you can definitely kind of see that in uh, Dallas Buyers Club too. But he's definitely that character in, Wolf, in Interstellar. Like he's that same yeah. ca- character. Murph. Murph! <laughs> you know, then he makes two animated films, which are really good, but since Interstellar, just not good movies. Like, Free State of Jones, which was his white saver movie, um, which I don't know if any of y'all saw I don't know if anybody saw it, but... No, definitely did not. <laughs> so, you know, Free State of Jones, uh, Sea of Trees, which really didn't even come out, um gold the dark tower which tanked uh and white boy rick serenity and the beach bum so yeah he's just like up and down in his career and it's just so interesting how he's exploded gone away exploded again faded a little bit but he somehow sort of maintained this momentum Mm -hmm. so i don't know i that wraps up my sort of rant on matthew mcconaughey um there's this i mean it exists in every sport but i i associate it with golf because golf is my sport but there's this idea that like once a pro wins one of the majors that they can just do whatever they want because they've reached the top and then i i think part of this is once he got the oscar for dallas buyers he was just like cool i've won my award i've got my accolade just give me a script. I'll do it. I don't care anymore. Which, granted, like his past does not back up that idea either. But I kind of feel like, I mean, the worst stretch really kind of is post Dark Tower, White Boy Rick, Serenity, Beach Bum. Like those were all scripts that he was probably giving. It's like these are probably good. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> He's like the Phil Mickelson. He's definitely like the Phil Mickelson of of Hollywood, right? He's won a couple. Yeah. No, whatever. I'm going to sp- just do whatever one. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Talking golf because Dex couldn't get any more bored by this conversation. <laughs> hey, yeah, Dex I and I celebrated Tiger golf. getting the Masters together. Yeah, I mean, that's like the only thing I know about golf is that Tiger Woods used to be amazing, that he was not, and now he's pretty good again, and I'm excited. Shout out, Tiger coming back. It's awesome when he's back. That's all, that's all I'll say when he's back. Yeah, no. Gave a that's little cool. fist pump. Um, okay, so we're going to answer some uh, listener listener questions after we just had, a, or at least I did, have a 20-minute uh, rant over Matthew McConaughey. I hope he's in more good things. I hope Charlie Hunnam's in a lot more good things, too, because he was awesome in this past film as well. Um, also, going way back, I don't know if y'all – what a – what a heater by um uh I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name. Uh start this over. I'm I'm really gentleman? No, no. What it uh Henry Golden, good grief. Okay. Oh yeah, okay. just going all the way back. What oh, a what yeah, 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 for sure. What a heater by Henry Golding to start his career. You know, hoping McConaughey gets good projects. But man, what a he has just picked good project after good now, I don't think last Christmas was probably that good, but like you know, it's like a rom com okay. with the Queen yeah, of Dragons. The Mother of Dragons. I said Queen of Dragons. But like um yeah, he's been on a heck of a heater for never having acted in anything uh okay so we're gonna do some listener questions uh you can tweet us find dex on instagram at lord hinton i think is what your uh instagram handle yeah you can find him on uh instagram there he was asking people for questions uh you can find us on twitter at one take pod where we uh will probably post you know, once a week for uh listener questions also you can email us at one take podcast show dot com uh, with any questions, I haven't checked the email. Maybe somebody emailed, but I just haven't checked. Um, we asked, "What are some of your movie podcast questions?" Uh, Everett Baylor Fancer is his name on Twitter. Do you know his real name? I don't know his name. Everett Manser. Everett Manser. It's his his header is Fancer, so he's going to listen to this. And sorry about that. Everett Manser. Shout out to Everett. Shout out Everett. You like every single one of our tweets, and I, and I appreciate you. Um, Keeping us alive. Exactly. He said, "Should Social Network have won Best Picture over King's Speech?" And I, I tweeted back at him. I said, "Short answer, maybe." <laughs> Hard maybe. Hard maybe. What do y'all think about that? Really quick. I don't know. That just out of context, we're going to start talking about these two films, but what do you, you know? I love the social network. I really love the King's speech. Now, a lot of people, uh, take that film or leave it. I think that is one of the films that really, I've kind of discovered what acting really could be, mm-hmm. you know, cause that film came out when I was in high school and I hadn't really paid attention critically to films up until then. And it came out in like what? 2010, 2011. So, yeah, so that was a film, Colin, Colin first performance in that is like, that's where I sort of discovered like what acting in a film could be Mm -hmm. because it plays out like a stage play, but, and it's just dialogue the entire movie. But I remember even in as a, like a 15 year old, 16 year old being like engrossed by just dialogue. 
and social network is kind of like that as well too and it's a sorkin script and everything else maybe in retrospect it probably should have it probably should have won just what we know about it now yeah but the thing um, about social network and i heard somebody say that social networks like that that's like part one for the facebook story yeah and fincher and sorkin will never team up again so we won't get part two which is sad yeah um I don't know. I I kind of agree with your answer. Maybe I think it's a hard comparison. Um, I I love the King speech. Anytime it's on or anytime I think about it, I watch it and I agree. It's I it came out when I was a freshman. I, I think it came out in the summer. And I remember I I saw it in theaters with my mom. It was a great mom Sunday. <laughs> um, but it was like right as I was entering film school. And I agree. Like it, it was one of the first moments where I was like. This is a well-trained actor who is playing a royal member, so he has to carry himself in that way, but he has a debilitating speech impediment. And like having sort of like a character play a character play a character, it's, it is an incredible feat by um, Colin Firth. And it is. It is it's just a heavy dialogue movie, but you're not bored. Because you really want to see what happens. You want you're cheering for Jeffrey Brush to not, not 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 get caught, but like for him to actually cure him. Um, you're cheering for Colin Firth to get through the speech. Like it's it's great. Um, it's definitely an Oscar network. movie, right? Like it, oh yeah, no no, it's it, it's an extreme Oscar grab, but in in the right ways. It's not overly dramatic. It's historically dramatic and fun um not fun but good uh on the flip side social network is top three favorite film for me top two somewhere in there it always flips but it is a sorkin script it it, it's fast talking um and so it makes you feel like a smart person it makes you feel like you belong there as they're um building the website it even makes Justin Timberlake look like an intelligent person, which he probably is. But like, <laughs> um, it, no, it's 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 a great film. Like, and it's the way Fincher shoots it is almost documentary, um, while also being cinematic. You feel like you're really a part of this incredible story, um, to the point now where people historically think this is what happened with right. Facebook. People think that this is exactly what it is. And this of course the real Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. The real Mark Zuckerberg loves to show it to people and tell them how this is all wrong. Um, Sean Parker, the real one, like is absolutely flattered that they think he got laid in reality. He was not Justin Timberlake. <laughs> so it's all like a bit of a farce, but we as a society take this like as an absolute, absolute fact. And I think that's a huge testament to what of a film it is. Do you have any thoughts, Dex, about, uh, about those movies? Boy, or, or about do this... I. Oh boy, do you. <laughs> oh. Welcome <laughs> to our first three hour podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're okay. This is definitely a I'll road trip podcast it. guys. So strap in. Yeah. I'll try to keep it short, but, uh, so The Social Network is one of my favorite movies. It's consistently in my top five whenever I rank them. Um, loved it ever since it came out. Saw it in theaters. Was absolutely riveted. Bought it on DVD years and years ago. Still watch it all the time. Um, it's like one of my go-to rainy day movies. Like it's raining. I'm not leaving the house. I'm going to watch The Social Network. Um, and I had never seen The King's Speech until like October of last year. 
So I had always just assumed that it was some bullshit and that the social network got robbed for Best Picture. But uh, The King's Speech is on Netflix. I watched it like October or so last year. And then I was like, you know what? I get it. I understand. It wouldn't have been the choice that I made, but like knowing what I know about the Oscars and, you know, just seeing how good of a movie that is, I was like, yeah, I understand why they made that choice. Uh, I would still pick the social network to win. I just think it's, you know, it's one of those like very relevant, very cool movies that, um, you know, sometimes the Oscars miss. And that's like one of the things that, you know, people complain about with the Oscars. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, if 1917 wins, it's going to have like the same kind of thing with Parasite where it's like, you know, the hip, cool movie that, you know, everybody loves and is like very relevant to the times is not going to win. Uh, I think it's a similar thing with social network versus uh, the King's Speech. But, you know, I understand why they picked the King's Speech and, you know, having actually seen it now, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, in, well, in fairness to even the King's Speech and everything, like, hell of a year for the Best Motion Picture of the Year award race. Because they had, this is when they had 10 nominees. Which, in retrospect, we're like, oh, why would they do that? But l- listen to these nominees. The King's Speech was the winner, but Black Swan, Inception, The Fighter, The Kids Are All Right, which is a super underrated film, uh, The Social Network, Toy Story 3, True Grit, Winter's Bone, and 127 Hours. Oh, God. yeah, that's stacked. Yeah, like, yeah. in that film, uh, you have a Coen Brothers movie, um, a David O. Russell film, a Christopher Nolan film, an Aronofsky uh, film. Like, you have Jennifer Lawrence busting on the scene in Winter's Bone. You have probably the best Toy Story movie, like, which is one of the best animated films of all time. I love Toy Story 3. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so you just have, like... So the fact that it won, you know, like, 127 hours, probably the odd man out in all of these movies, <laughs> out of all these movies, but, like, you know... The fact that King's Speech won, it just says that a lot of people did enjoy how the direction this movie took. Now, when we look back at all these films, what's going to hold the test of time? I don't know. I loved Inception back when it came out. It probably makes a top 10 list for me, honestly. But I think we probably look at the social network when all of this is done. And when we get out of the social media, or we're not, we're never going to leave the social media age. We're all too narcissistic. But um Whenever we leave, you know, sort of the post-social media age, whenever that is, whenever Google is just uploaded to our brain. But, like, whenever we leave that, I think we'll look at this film and be like, this is probably the more important film. You know what I mean? For sure. So I think that, that. uh, not winning the Oscar is one thing, but it definitely has has a probably more firm standing in society than a lot of these other films. So And Sorkin did walk away with adapted screenplay so it, mm-hmm. it did get something i don't know if fincher is never gonna if fincher is ever gonna win you know best director i think that would have been it um but mm-hmm. it went to tom hooper for uh the king's speech um matt is bear <laughs> yep matt is bear on twitter uh great follow for baylor twitter but he um he he has a two point he has a two-part question says, 
So strap in for this. One, congrats. You have a three-movie contract with Disney to make the new Star Wars trilogy. Give me the vague setting or arc that interests you the most. And number two, what is the best doing laundry movie? Do you think it'll be quicker to just do the what is your best doing laundry movie than we can move into Star Wars? Because I got some thoughts. Uh, yeah, sure. I'm going to fa- I'll fall apart on the Star Wars one. I'm not very good with the canon and the background, but I, I do have some thoughts that I think can contribute. But yeah, let's start with laundry. Okay, uh, Dex, go ahead. So I think you're going to want something you can tune in and out of. Uh, you know, something, you know, fun, lighthearted, entertaining. So to me, that screams musical. And, uh, oh. you know, I just love musicals. And I think a pretty lighthearted and good one to watch while doing laundry would be Mamma Mia, classic cinema. Ooh. <laughs> Heavy hitter, Mamma Mia. <laughs> we'll go down in the annals of musical history. That's honestly an incredible pick because if you like the music, you can leave the room and still sing along. Yep. Some oh, ABBA bangers. Yeah, that's a great pick. You know ABBA song. There are so many like ABBA songs that people know that they don't even know it's an ABBA song. That's a great pick. I was so dumb. I didn't know for the longest time that that movie was just all ABBA. <laughs> Or the like the original musical was just all yeah, ABBA, yeah. and I was like, wait, what? So they just took a bunch of ABBA songs and made it into a musical, and my parents were like, yeah, yeah, dummy, yeah, man, like, like what are you, <laughs> duh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. yeah and it, are you it, not present during the '60s and '70s? Yeah, what? yeah, sorry, like sorry, I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't there for that. <laughs> it's just like if you don't know that, then people will look at you like you're an idiot. Um, the, I don't know. Uh, that is a that is a very good sort of way to look at doing laundry movie. Do you have one, Jake? Um, I I have a couple. I'm not gonna like list them all out, but to me, like laundry chore movies are like movies that you can just leave on, and if you need to walk away for 20 minutes and come back, you didn't miss anything, or there's nothing that you can't like pick up on. So those are like usually like action films that are just fun to watch so my pick is the fugitive with uh yes. harrison ford and tommy lee jones there's nothing in that film that like desperately needs you to watch you can walk away for 30 minutes and you still you're like oh he's still being chased he's still a wanted man trying to get justice for his wife that's a incredible pick also i you know i always say uh, tnt amc movies fx movies oh. things like that uh, like there, you know what I'm talking about when I list when I list these movies, like the Transporter, like yep. it's not on par with yeah. like it's not on par with the Fugitive, but it is one of those you know like an FX yeah. movie or like how AMC plays, uh, AMC plays like um, Armageddon, like oh god, Armageddon's a perfect three times yeah. a month, like it, you know they have like an Armageddon marathon, which I don't know yeah. why, but <laughs> that great film. That is, it's not, but it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a great laundry film. Yeah, it is. it is one of those. It is, it's not a good movie, but it's, it is a great laundry film. I think for me, um, do you have any more or did you have another one? Uh, the only other one that came to my mind that would, uh, popped up was face off with Nicolas Cage and, um, uh, John Travolta, Travolta. Johnny yeah. T. Johnny T, another film that you could just walk away, come back in, you're like, nope, 
they're still wearing each other's faces and they're still going to try to kill each other. Great <laughs> movie. They're in fact facing off. They um, are. Face off. I was going to say the I have a, you know, I have a couple of that fall into this category. I don't think I've ever seen Con Air all the way through. You don't need to. But that's sort of the that's <laughs> sort of the thing that it falls it falls into yeah. that category where it's like I'm always doing something whenever Con Air would come on TV like halfway through. It's like yeah. Dave Chappelle's falling out of a plane. Like, all right, <laughs> that's, you know, when I start. Like, Con Air's up there. Um, National Treasure's up there. Just, oh, okay, Nicolas Cage movies. That's my answer. Yeah, I think that's where we're all at. Like, yeah, Nicolas Cage film is a perfect laundry film. Yeah, yeah love it. Nicolas Cage movie. I was also like, The Green Mile came to mind for some reason last night even though it's Ooh. way more heavy that's always on tv that or like the shawshank redemption are always on tv yeah shawshank has like appeared a lot for me lately i'm never like it would never be like when i would actively put on a movie go do laundry because my laundry's outside for those of you that cared about that so it's like i'm coming in and out to mm -hmm. so like i'm missing large chunks of this movie so like it would be like i turn on the tv and then something's on that's when I do. I'm not actively searching Netflix for a movie to do laundry to. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of it's a real throwback to when people actually had television uh, or television had television had cable had television. Um, so the first part of this question, the three picture deal with Disney Star Wars trilogy. Do we have to do a Star Wars trilogy? Is my question with the three picture deal for Disney? Can we do anything else? Matt, come defend your question. Yeah, answer exactly. right now. Answer, you coward. Problem is, um, I actually I, I have his number. I can text him. I'm not going to. But uh, um, it's eleven o'clock at night. He's just gonna be like, what? dude. I don't even remember asking your you. Question. Yeah. I don't um, know. Uh, Where do you fall on? This is gonna be a three-hour podcast. Strap in, guys. Uh, where do you? Where do you feel like? Where do you fall? Because I I like. Prequel trilogy, objectively not good. People have randomly come around on it, like nostalgic coming around on it being okay. Um, mm -hmm. Sequel trilogy ended. I did not like anything about the uh, newest Star Wars movie. So it just ended like with a fart in the wind. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know where I fall in Star Wars. So I... In, I don't want to even delve into where the fandom, what the fandom would want to see, because they don't even know what they yeah. want to see. So I don't know. Where do y'all stand on that? Do you have any ideas? Because I got a couple, but I just want to see, first of all, where y'all stand on how Star Wars, the state of Star Wars is right now. Uh, I'm still collecting. Dex, you got anything? Uh, yeah, I can tell you that I have not seen any of the first six Star Wars movies, but I have seen well, all Well, this is a bad movies. question for you then. <laughs> Yeah, I have seen... He really wants to see a trilogy about Luke. I want to see a trilogy about, like, just some regular-ass people in Star Wars land. Whatever. In Star you Wars know, land. Some people, some people who aren't, like, weird space wizards. Just some regular-ass folk. Just, you know, hanging out, out, doing regular folk shit in space. That'd be cool. <laughs> just, like, moisture yeah. farming? That's what you want to you <laughs> see is them... Uh... See what's really going on with... Uh... Yeah, just and you know, uncle. I don't, I don't know. Matthew McConaughey. It's just like some <laughs> regular ass like mechanic living in space. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that might be Interstellar. Who knows? But <laughs> <laughs> that, that is literally Interstellar. 
crossover. That is literally that is what happens in Interstellar. Is that just he's a, it's a space farmer? That's funny. Okay. Qualified for Star Wars questions. Jake, do you have where you want to see the Star Wars? Like where you would want to take it? So I like I said, I'm not too familiar with the deeper universe outside of like a couple of the games and the movies. So I, I'm not going to like delve into like, let's follow this character. Like, let's explore this history. Um, but I, I agree with Dex. Like, I, I think where Mandalorian is going is, is very cool. I think that's a that's a really good step in the right direction. The biggest problem I have with like, this most recent trilogy is that it's sort of null and voided itself from the start to the finish. I think a big part of what Star Wars is, or at least like kind of the Luke trilogy, is that you don't have to be somebody or anybody of a name to come up and be like a leader and somebody important. And the most recent trilogy was like, no, she's a Skywalker, so you had to be part of this wizarding lineage to be important. Um, so I think like if we walked away from this, like you have to be a hero or a villain and we explore, like it is a universe. Mm -hmm. There's probably other stuff going on. Like if we doesn't have to spend like three films, like two films exploring just what regular ass people are doing in this universe would be a really an interesting kind of just look of just world building. I think what people want to see with a Star Wars film, though, is that they do want to see the Jedi's and everything else. I, I think for sure. I think being able to what they have done with Disney Plus is brilliant. To be able to just serialize it and take it and be like, all right, we're going to expand this with ease because we have the time now. And granted, all of the Mandalorian episodes were only like thirty minutes, and you, I just breeze through those. But like, you know, I it, it was refreshing to like get somebody that we kind of had an idea of what bounty hunters were and then expand that lore and to go deeper into that and letting people make creative decisions and filmmakers create and follow a vision that they have. I think that was great with what the Mandalorian did now. And I think that's what star Wars needs to do really is to just be able to expand the lore over time. They get, we get so caught up with these trilogies that it's like, all right, now where, now where, now, I mean, we, you know, mm -hmm. there's always going to be a man demand for a Star Wars movie because they keep making billions of dollars and they sell billions of dollars worth of toys, you know, and merchandise. So sure. that's where Star Wars kind of is. I, you know, the easy answer is the Knights of the Old Republic. Not to like nerd out. I think a lot of people want to see that. I don't even know if that's canon anymore. Who cares? Uh, but like, yeah. Um, a lot of people want to see that. I think that's a. I think that's sort of an easy answer. I would like to get either far, far away from this current timeline, either in the future or in the past. Like, I don't like going that far. And I like would like to just like let's advance further. Let's get away from the whole Skywalker lineage timeline, because I'm tired of that story. Like, if they come out with this new, then th I don't think they'll come out with new films for another four years or something five years probably um they'll focus on like the obi-wan series and things like that so i don't know my answer is probably like uh knights of the old republic if i just had to give a quick answer but i do want to see them get like like if you do something with like the smuggler ring that's not here's the here's the idea they tried to do gritty with um rogue one 
Mm-hmm. Which and was I, great. I like the way that was filmed. But the problem is, is that, and it's not necessarily Disney, it's that they're so worried about how people are going to react to bucking the trend or doing something different that, like, they change a lot of these things and they destroy these creators' visions. And so with Gareth Edwards, who made them, they cut, like, half the film. So, mm-hmm. like, and reshot a lot of it. So, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be gritty, but I do want to kind of get away from, like, the bright and shiny Star Wars stuff that and make it more down to earth while keeping those sci-fi elements. And they tried to do that with Solo, but that just didn't work. I don't know. Just, I want the film style to be different, and I would like to get far away from this timeline. Um, and finally, for a Twitter question, <laughs> somebody... Uh, I think it was Cray Ballin, Cray Ballin, uh, on Twitter. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Asked, why is The Phantom Menace the best of the Star Wars films? It's not. Uh, okay, so we're going to move on from that. Yeah, done, done. It, it, people have sort of randomly come around on the prequels, which, Dex, if you're going to start that, just watch the old movies and don't worry about watching. Mm-hmm. I mean, eh, like, they're just not good. Like, it was like George Lucas put pen to paper like didn't have anybody check it and was like got a hit done don't need anybody to <laughs> don't need to go yeah. over the from what i understand it seems like all three of those movies were just kind of george lucas being like i'm hot heat check let's go <laughs> he just yeah he's just throwing threes from deep going like just like yeah Dion, you know uh for the rewatchables brand Dion waiters heat check award that was definitely uh definitely yeah. all george lucas was doing throughout in in you know nobody checked him or anything and so it was just bad script writing and weird direction everything's cgi it doesn't look it does not hold up well at all but i think people have sort of randomly come around on those uh movies it had some of the best fight scenes of any star wars movie i will say that mm-hmm. so that's probably about the only thing dialogue's terrible a uh, bunch of fart jokes jar jar Binks steps and poop like uh, you know all that, st- <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. Like, we get the introduction of pod racing, which is yeah, something that universe. was never expanded on in that, Mm-mm. which was awesome. I had that video game on Nintendo yeah, sixty four. Yeah. Great game. Um, you had uh, Instagram questions, right, Dex? Yes, I did. So the one that I'm most excited to answer was Knives Out. Thoughts. Go ahead, Jake. Hello, four-hour podcast. Yeah. Um, no, we can I maybe wrap it. this up in two thirty. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah. At this point in time, I guess we're we can go spoilers. I, is that fine? Yeah, it's been out. Okay. Um, no, I I loved it. I thought it was a great twist on sort of a tired genre of the whodunits. Um. It, it's it is a ton of fun it is a great again it's a sunday watcher like you can just put it on and you don't have to worry too much you can just watch it and, and enjoy it um the thing i loved most is that we're told i don't know like i think like the first 30 minutes we're told that uh um i forgot what the actress's name did it that it was an accidental death and she was, yeah that was an accidental death and that she is essentially aided to get out of it. And so for the rest of the film, instead of you just sitting there wondering like who did it, uh, who got it, who's going to get away with this, you are actively rooting 
that she doesn't get caught. Mm-hmm. And so you're in a whodunit film rooting that nobody gets caught and nobody done it. Um, <laughs> nobody so it, done it. Yeah, nobody done it. I mean, obviously, at the end, Chris Evans was sort of this mastermind of the architect. And the other big thing that I absolutely loved is that usually in these whodunit films, the detective or the police officer, whoever is investigating, uh, usually has some sort of like um, omniscient understanding of the situation, has like some meta knowledge that the audience also has, but nobody else does. And Daniel Craig throughout the whole film you almost had to sit there and wonder, like, does he know anything? Is he just a bumbling idiot? Like, is he just a guy that, like, precedes his reputation because he's asking these weird questions but doesn't seem to provide answers? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's they're just, like, fun little twisting tropes and looking at the genre and just flipping on it and set to a backdrop where it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's a great cast of characters. It's a fun movie. Go ahead, Dex. Uh, yeah, I... Agree on everything you said, basically. Um, I love the movie. Saw it with a bunch of friends. We were all dying of laughter throughout. Uh, you know, every time that, like, the rich people say that Anna Diarmas is from a different country, mm-hmm. hilarious to me. Uh, Daniel Craig's accent, hilarious to me. Uh, just so much throughout the movie was, like, awesome. The twists were good. Uh, kind of the character motivations and, like, you know, the changing, you know, responses, like, whenever she gets the will... Uh, all that kind of stuff was really awesome. The only thing I didn't super love about the movie was uh, the ending. I thought the Chris Evans thing was weak. I was like, eh, I mean, I get it that that's where you're ending it, but like, eh, would have wanted something a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was a really good movie, and I would have gave it, you know, uh, I would have gave it like some more acting love, like at the Oscars. Like I think Anna De Armas had a really good supporting role. I thought. Daniel Craig had a really good supporting role. Kind of surprised to not see them get very much at all award show love this year on the circuit. But um, yeah, I really liked that movie. One of the best of last year, in my opinion. Yeah, it really had this momentum where it was like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes forever and and made a ton of money and, um, you know, return to form for not even a return to form because The Last Jedi was a good movie. Sue me, people. But it was like the, you know, Ryan, you know, Ryan Johnson has a comeback after getting just like bullied by uh, people forever. And then so he has this comeback of with this film and, and it is just very it's just very fun. It's it, it's what you go to the movies or what you watch movies and television for is entertainment. And it just was entertaining from start to finish. I kind of accidentally had like the twist, which I mean, it, it's not a big deal because they tell you in 30 minutes, like you said in the movie that he kills himself and she accidentally kills him. So I kind of had that ruined for me, but like after that, it was all, you know, it was just fun and games and the, and the, and the monologue at the end of the movie with Daniel Craig and Ana de Armas and how she like throws up and everything else. And it's just like, you know, it's uh, a lot of throw up talk on today's pod, but um, you know, it's, it's just a fun time. It's just a fun time. I'm surprised it didn't get, uh, more award love. I think it was nominated. Was it nominated for best adapted or best uh, screenplay? Original yeah, screenplay. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm surprised it didn't get like you know editing or anything. Any of that. It only was adapt. You know, for that. So uh, I think, and I, I'm glad it was successful because seeing things like again, I've sort of harped on this, but seeing things that are successful like this and and 
taking kind of tired tropes and flipping them on their heads or it, it it's it was great and i think it, once it comes out um once it comes out on amazon or wherever else i think this is a great netflix movie once this comes out definitely sit down uh with a bottle of wine watch it it's really good um anything else we you, you had another one i think yeah so a quick one and then i have one that'll be my one take hot take uh so Matthew Hayden McBeezy asked, "Did Tony die at the end of The Sopranos?" Yes, like that's. I mean, I I haven't like I've seen the ending. I tried to start Sopranos several times, and I know it's like it's like a slow burn. You got to like really get into it, and yada yada yada. Like, eh. mm-hmm. like it, and it is like prestige TV, and it really kicked off prestige TV. But to answer your question, yes, he died, and I think the yeah he did. The creator has said as much. I think like in interviews, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Have you seen, have any, either one of you like seen it all the way through? Uh, not all the way through. Like I've seen the end just because it is a great case study and and good television. And it did kick off. It it was sort of like the, 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 the fuse that said what we have now as, you know, serial TV, um, no, I haven't. I've watched it all the way through. To answer to answer your I question, yes, he's he's definitely dead, and I think the creators have come out and been like, "Yeah, he's dead." Like, I people keep asking these this question of this show. Like, it, it, he's dead. What is it? I'm forgetting Sarah Marshall. It's like The Sopranos. Get over it. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my God, forgetting Sarah Marshall. I love that film. Anyway, um, okay, I think we are out of. You have one more for your one take, hot take. Which I, we know didn't plan on doing, but like throw it out. We're always down for some one take hot takes. Mm-hmm. All right. So the question was from the homie Jennifer Crow: Why did they do cats so dirty? And my Meaning one who? take hot take is that cats was always going to be a really weird movie to make, but it's actually pretty fun. Uh, it's Ugh. it's not good, but it's fun. Ugh. That is a hot take. Defend yourself. Yeah. Defend yourself. It's I mean, we've if you don't know, Cats is literally just a musical where a bunch of cats sing songs and, and introduce themselves. Nothing else happens. They sing songs, they tell you their names, and then they go away forever. So making that into a movie gonna be nearly impossible. It's you know, people in like skin tight leotards who look like cats dancing around to songs about cats. So the movie adaptation is weird CGI creations of cats that look kind of like people, but have human hands and have like human feet and like breasts. And it's weird, but it's fun. The songs are fun enough. The animation is weird enough that you're watching it and you're like, what the fuck is this? I I think it's, already kind of getting that like cult classic-y status like they're already doing like midnight showings of, of it in course. new york where people are like drinking and yelling at the screen and, and they're just, rocky like, horror picture all having a good time yeah. and i think that is a perfect movie for that so whenever it comes out on like netflix or hulu or wherever it ends up on demand get some friends get some alcohol watch it have a great fucking time 
I think it's going to have this weird second life. And it's, and it, I mean, you said as much, and it's already been predicted that it's going to, going to do this where it's going to be like, because there are so many famous people in it and because it was so famously terrible, like, mm-hmm. and not even finished, are they going to be screening like, like the, the cut that was like not finished before they patched it? Like, are the, is that going to be like the truthers are going to be like, that's not the real cat's cut. You got to show the real cat's cut. Like, <laughs> Like, I don't know, man, that, that movie, apparently I, I didn't see it cause I wasn't going to waste my time. It's about cats wanting to commit suicide, like kill me, please. And, uh, that's what that movie is and show is about. Um, but what it apparently lacked is like the fun of the musical where it's so bananas in the musical stage musical and just bringing it to the screen was always going to be impossible. It felt like. Yeah, it's especially an impossible to make a good movie out of. Especially when they went with the the choice of making them like sort of CGI uh, monsters, um, <laughs> of like yeah. yeah, of like people of like people human faces and like I don't know. But it, instead of just doing like practical makeup and you know like the stage play, which I think it would have saved a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was always going to be a weird sort of thing to adapt, but, and they rushed it. It was in production hell and cost so much money to make. And I I don't know why, how some of these films, and I guess because it is such a weird sort of IP that, and famous IP that a lot of people wanted to try their hand at it and be in the film. Um, so that's how they got that many famous people. I have no idea, but the fact but that the problem so- is almost none of them like really committed. It's yeah. like Jason Derulo committed, uh, James Corden like out there going for it. Other than that, none of them like tried very hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean Judy Dench coming with an all-time just like mail mail in with not even like not even having like her hand to like still wearing her wedding ring and everything. Yeah. I don't know. You had you, Jake. You had some like thoughts on behind the scenes stuff. Like since you've worked in like television and stuff, have like why? How did this go so wrong? Um, not to get into really, like how did this get yeah, made, Tori, yeah. But like, what no, do you think? I mean, really, that? it was one of those things where it exchanged hands so many times. Um, there was a wanting to be true to the source material, but there was also a wanting to be innovative. Um, the other thing was like, apparently a lot of the actors only got their scripts and only were there during their time to film. And so they weren't even aware of how absurd (laughs) their characters looked and like how absurd their acting really was compared to like whoever they're playing opposite of during their song. Mm -hmm. And so when they're finally like seeing the finished product, they aren't aware of how bad it was. Um, James Corden has been pretty vocal. He's like, I wasn't aware they were going to make me this sexy looking and like how horny my cat was. Uh. <laughs> um, or that so, like, you, you mentioned in decks, like they gave all the female cats boobs. Like why? Why? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what are you? What are you? Oh no, baby. What is you doing? Like that yeah, is oddly erotic throughout. Ugh. It's a very like, very uh, horny movie randomly. No, it's a very horny movie, but it, it I haven't seen it, and I, I at this point, I guess I'll see it when it comes out on principle. But yeah, I just I I know that 
from a lot of the actor interviews and from like a lot of the production point of view is that it's almost like everybody had like tiny pieces of the puzzle and that like sort of the main idea was like, well, if we just stick to the source material, we're fine. But nobody realized just like what this like monster that they were making of just like CGI horny cats. CGI horny cats. That needs to be the new tagline for the for the movie. Whenever they have a midnight showing at like, you know, some arts college that people go and take LSD and go watch. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure this is probably going to be taught at like some school. Of, like um, what we're not gonna, to we're gonna sit down. Not even what not to do, but like we got to sit down and talk about this. Yeah, exactly. It's like how in marketing classes, they always teach you about how new Coke was like the biggest mistake ever. Mm-hmm. This is cats going to be the new Coke of film school. Cats, I, I, cats was definitely like a market correction where people were just like, just it, like, it oh, is interesting because um, they kind of uh, dropped today that they're they're doing a Hamilton film, and the backlash immediately on social media just because of like what happened to cats. And of course, they came out and corrected it was that it's going to be more of like I, I guess it's just going to be the stage production as a film. But it's very interesting to see how cats kind of just took musicals and were like, no, we're not doing this anymore. Stop it. <laughs> I You can adapt musicals, but Cats is one of those ones where it was like it was never going to be like like the Book of Mormon. Apparently, you know, that would make a good movie, I feel mm-hmm. like, because, it, you know, it's very realistic and, and things like 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 you could if La La Land was a stage production first, like La La Land would have been a good movie regardless. You know what I mean? I'm just thinking of the most recent musicals that we watch. But like, yeah, you know, you can adapt these things. And make them something into, with a plot. Yeah, with a plot. Like it doesn't have a plot. The plot is is that they all want to die and they want to be the first one to die. But there's not like that's that's the plot. They just want to like. Yeah. It is. Please kill me. The the musical. The cat musical. The, cat musical, the CGI cat horny musical. <laughs> Tom Hooper. What the hell, man? What a weird career you have had. It's gonna be interesting. This uh, like winning the winning an Academy Award. We were speaking about the King's Speech. Winning an Academy Award for the King's Speech. Following it up with Les Miserables, or however you pronounce that. Sorry, theater people are gonna get mad at me. Um, we have a very big theater following. So yeah, very. That. Yep. Sorry, didn't want to. Didn't want to. I don't want to offend. Don't make this podcast to offend. Um. Yeah, and then just comes out with cats, man. Ugh. It's gonna be see interesting to see how he rebounds, um, but yeah, it's just as had this weird lie. I don't know. We don't have any more uh, listener questions, so I mean, running on a two-hour podcast. Congratulations, guys! We did it. We did it. We definitely we did it. Uh, <laughs> we may just we may just wait until next Thursday to record how long this one is, but um, we got to come up with a film and we'll let people on Twitter know what film we're going to kind of rewind one takedown review. Um, I know you mentioned baby driver that, so that is on the, uh, that is on the docket. We may leave it up to people on Twitter, our, our 27 Twitter followers to decide what, um, what we actually, what we actually go for. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of what I got. Uh, any more hot takes or anything like that? Uh, if you're watching the Good Place series finale with tonight, it made me cry. It was great. That's my hot take. Fantastic. 
Uh, like I said, don't spoil it for me. I got to binge it when it all comes out. So we'll talk about that in a year. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm game with that. I'll rewatch it. We still got to do the, the long awaited you episode. Ooh, it's going to be a hard one. Yeah. So as always, hashtag that, support. That will be our five hour episode. The you episode. Yeah. It's going to be a, oh, it's going to be a yeah. two parter. You said, uh, throw out the hashtag one more time. Hashtag support Florence Pugh. Hashtag support Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh, come on the pod. You won't do it. You won't One do day. it. One day. Get in here. Um, speaking of, I can't get enough of the Black Widow trailer. That came on today during the the previews for The Gentleman. I really like that. I, I like that trailer. Fire. <laughs> Fire. Um, what a heater for Florence Pugh. It just can't state it enough. Um yeah, so again, you can follow us on One Take Pod, the number one take pod on Twitter. You can find us on Simplecast. We are now on iTunes. Shout out to your boy for dealing with that. I wanted to pull my hair out trying to get iTunes. And, Round of applause for Roy. Yeah, I know. Pat myself on the back. Simple, you know. podcast host extraordinaire. Oh my god. Um uh, you can find us on iTunes and Spotify. Follow on Spotify. Um that is by far so far our most, you know, listened to platform, which you know, a lot of people do have Spotify, but follow on Spotify. We're gonna try to get on Google Podcast uh soon. But on uh iTunes, download, rate, subscribe, review roast us in the comments i don't care say mean things about us say that you don't like our voice and you fell asleep but give us that five star review so i don't you know i don't care whatever you can talk you can talk mad shit about us i don't care just rate review download subscribe um follow us at one take pod on twitter email is one take podcast show at dmail at gmail it's two hour i can't talk anymore uh one cake podcast show at gmail.com follow us on twitter those are in the description uh find dex on instagram and ask him all the movie questions when he puts up his weekly poll about whatever he puts up polls about listener questions send us whatever you want us to review on uh our one takedown and we will discuss that holy crap it's 11 35 two minutes two minutes two hours and nine minutes all right time to wrap up Royden. um podcast. podcast over good night goodbye good luck have a great weekend go see the gentleman support for it please Support Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh. Alright. Bye. She rolled in it shut down. Boy, but I know when it shut down. A bunch of young men all dressed in black dancing extremely aggressively on stage. It made me feel so intimidated, and it's just not what I expect to see on primetime TV. I'm in a different class. When I get through, I'ma bring my dance. Two by two, man, I walk on the art. Sitting at the front just like rolls apart. Trust me, you don't wanna see me get dark.